Good morning. It's good to see each and every one of you. Karibuni sana. Um, my voice is not yet back, but I believe that God will still use me uh, the same way, and the word of God will still go out. For all our visitors, would like to welcome you, Karibuni, to Nairobi Chapel, Lavington. Uh, my name is Judin Zeri Geshuro, and I'm privileged to be the lead pastor here. And uh, we are happy to have all of you, even those of you who are coming for the first time after a long time, after being online for some time. We've seen your faces, and we are happy to see you, Karibuni. Uh, before I continue, um, I want to talk about our parking. Um, you notice that there's some pavement that is being done on this side, so we, can, we can't park here for now. But we have permission to park outside the Ipsos building and outside the vet, veterinary. And we hope very soon we'll be able to uh, meet the, our other neighbors through the introduction of the Kidi Villa family. And so for now, we have shortage of parking because of that. But I thank God that somehow you made it. Um, looking forward to what God has in store for us today. Um, like Ndwati has mentioned, you're welcome to send any questions that you have or, um, concerning this topic, authentic relationships, to the website that we sent to you, and also um, on that year, that day itself. Um, so for the sake of those who have not been to church this month and has not watched any of the sermons, this month we are talking about authentic relationships and we are actually emphasizing a part of the theme of the year, which is back to basics. From last year we started this theme and this is out of the lessons that we learned throughout the COVID period, realizing that it's possible not just organizations, but individuals and churches, anyone could have derailed from uh, the purpose that God put them here on earth. And a pandemic, a crisis has a way of remain, re reminding us what truly matters. And so where a church is concerned, when we talk about back to basics, we are learning from the book of Acts, where we see the early church, how they related, they were a very relational no church they were they came through for each other in such amazing ways the bible says that there are times they could even sell land to go and meet the need of the next person you know you for you to get to a place like that it means that god has worked on you a certain way that you're willing to release and not hold so that a person who don't have basic needs can benefit from you and so these are some of the things that god is reminding us that this is the kind of church that he desires of us and so we learned from the disciples who recorded the stories that we see in the Gospels, that is Matthew, Mark, uh, Luke, and John. And we also see how God used them to do amazing things throughout the book of Acts, where this early church um, is. And so one of the things we shared is stories and events that happened around the Passion Week. That's the week between Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday. The, many things happened during that time. And um, when you think about those events, you would imagine that they happened over the years. But in one week, Jesus experienced so much from the people that were the closest to him. They denied him. They betrayed him. When he said, I am in distress and in need of help, please pray for me. He would go and he would find that they were, they were sleeping three times. So the people that were closest to Jesus, he had journeyed with them. He had eaten together with them. He had poured into their lives when he was in the, in the greatest need ever. 
as a human being, they were not there for him. Then we see Jesus coming back to life. And when he comes back to life, he teaches us what authentic relationships is all about. Because he didn't come and start pointing fingers. Where were you when I was on the cross? Because when he was on the cross, there was only John. All the other disciples had taken off. He didn't start asking them, why were you sleeping when I needed you to pray? He came and gathered them together. In fact, when he appeared to them, uh, one of the times that he appeared to them, because he appeared to them several times, he found them fishing. And it's Peter who had led the others to fishing. They had forsaken the faith, and they had gone back to what they knew because they didn't think that this faith thing worked anymore. And the Bible says that when Peter saw Jesus coming towards them, he removed his shirt, and he jumped into the water. He was trying to hide. He knew what he had done. He had made everybody else to go back to fishing and to desert what God had asked them to do. But imagine when Jesus came, what he did was to help them make breakfast. Eat fish to the same fish they should not have been looking for. He sat with them and he helped them make breakfast and they ate breakfast. And so we see how scripture teaches us principles that are upside down. That before Jesus went to the cross, the one illustration he left with his disciples was washing their feet. He ambushed them. He didn't prepare them for it. And Peter was refusing because there's no way you can wash my feet. And Jesus said, if you cannot get to this place with me, I have no part with you. That it's not an option. God is not a saying, should you consider? Then you can do these things. But he, he went ahead and he got into a very personal space with them. Washing people's feet is very personal. It can be very messy depending on what you find there. But Jesus was trying to teach and to pass that message that as I go to the cross, if you forget everything else I've told you in these three years, serve one another. And that's why we are saying our thing for the year is from John chapter 13 verse 35 and we are using the amplified version that says by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love and unselfish concern for one another it's not just concern for one another unselfish concern so it's, it's the kind of love that demands that we go an extra mile for the next person. We don't just give what is we thought was excess or we don't use, but out of unselfish concern. You know, sometimes I've heard different people say, and unfortunately we have experienced the same, when we say we want to give some clothes to needy people, people understand you bring the, the things you can never wear yourself. Sometimes people understand uh, it's time to dump what you are not using in your house. It's seen in little things like donations. And God is saying, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love and unselfish concern for one another. That's the only way we can get to the place where the book of the early church was. And this is why we are talking about back to basics. We are not rushing out of it because I believe God will continue to show us areas where we can go deeper in, where back to basics are concerned. So when we talk about back to basics, it doesn't just happen. Like we've said before, it takes growing pains. It takes sacrifice. And Jesus demonstrated that for us. And so today we are going to look at a story in the Bible that talks about a family that had to had their relationships tested, and we will see how they responded to it and what the scripture teaches us about those people. So I have some questions before we go to the scripture. 
So the first question is, how did the family you grew up in express anger, sadness, or fear? How did the family you grew up in express anger, sadness, or fear? The second question is, how do you deal with anger? So the, how did your family express it? But for you, how do you deal with anger, with sadness, or fear? Today we are going to learn from a story um, of the, the story of the prodigal sons. This story is preceded by a story of the lost sheep where the owner leaves the 99 in the wilderness and goes after the one, invites the friends and neighbors for a party because he has found, you know, one sheep. I want to imagine maybe that's what they ate. I don't know. But for you to have a party, you probably slaughtered something. But why was it so important for you to actually go after the one? And then Jesus uses that story and he says, I tell you in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who have no need of repentance. And this is, what the, how, this is how we define repentance. It is the act of leaving what God has prohibited and returning to what he has commanded. It is the act of leaving what God has prohibited and returning to what he has commanded. I have a friend. Um, Ashers, please help um, the mom. Um, so let me repeat that again, that the story of the prodigal son is actually preceded by the story of a lost sheep, where the owner leaves the 99 in the wilderness and goes after the one, invites the friends and the neighbors for a party. And Jesus tells them, I tell you in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who have no need of repentance. It is the act of, repentance is the act of leaving what God has prohibited and returning to what he has commanded. That God is more interested in one person leaving what God has prohibited and returning to what he has commanded than with 99 people who consider themselves righteous but have no need of repentance. So they call themselves righteous but whether they are leaving what God has prohibited and returning to what he has commanded is another thing. Then after that, we have the story of the lost coin. The same thing Jesus finishes that story by saying, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents Meaning, someone who changes his inner self, his old way of thinking, someone who regrets past sins and lives his life in a way that proves repentance and seeks God's purpose for his life. I tell you there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents, that is, changes his inner self his old way of thinking, regrets the past sins, lives his life in a way that proves repentance and seeks God's purpose for his life. 
This is true when it comes to authentic relationships. What these two scriptures are telling us, even before we read about the prodigal sons, that it's very possible to listen to a sermon and say good sermons and hang around church, but with no need for repentance, with no need for leaving what God has prohibited and returning to what he has commanded, with no need of leaving our old thinking without regretting our past sins, without living in a way that proves repentance and without seeking God's purposes for our lives. And on the other hand, that others will hear, there are others that will hear and they will break, they will, they will be broken before the Lord in deep agony because they are in need of restoration. And so let us read um, Luke chapter 15. From so we are going to read Luke 15 from verse 11 to 32. This is what the Bible says. Luke 15, verse 11 to 32. Then he said, a certain man had two sons. The younger of them inappropriately said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that falls to me. So he divided the estate between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered together everything that he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he was wasted. He wasted his fortune in reckless and immoral living. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country and he began to do without and be in need. So he went and forced himself on one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to a feed pigs, to feed pigs. He would have gladly eaten uh, carob pods that the pigs were eating, but they could not satisfy his hunger, and no one was giving anything to him. But when he finally came to his senses, senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough food while I am dying here of hunger? My apologies, my computer had an accident in the morning. So to preach too. Verse 18, I will get up and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Just treat me like one of your hired men. So he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was moved with compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quickly bring out the best robe for the guest of honor and put it on him and give him a ring for his hand and sandals for his feet and bring the fattened calf and slaughter it and let us invite everyone and feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was as good as dead and is alive again. He was lost and has been found. So they began to celebrate. 
Now his older son was in the field, and when he returned and approached the house, he had music and dancing. So he summoned one of the servants and began asking what this celebration meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But the elder brother became angry and deeply resentful and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. But he said to his father, look, this many years I have served you and I have never neglected or disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me so much a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this other son of yours arrived, this other son of yours, when he arrived, who has devoured your estate with immoral women? You slaughtered the fattened calf for him. For the father said to him, son, you're always with me. And all that is mine is actually yours. But it was fitting to celebrate and rejoice. For this brother of yours was as good as dead and has begun to live. He was lost and he has been found. It's a very interesting story. I'm sure we have heard, we have read it many times. Let's see some of the things that God will teach about authentic, authentic relationships from this one. So when we look at the younger son, the Bible tells us that he left inappropriately. First of all, I guess it's true in our culture as well, but in that culture, you only got your inheritance after your parent had died. So for you to demand your inheritance and to go, it was as good as saying my parent is as good as dead. That's why scripture says that he left inappropriately. He goes, he went to a place where there were no rules and no accountability. Doesn't that happen to us sometimes? Especially when we are younger. He wanted to live a free life. One day things changed and he was broke. He got a job somewhere. He tried to fix his mistakes. So he got a job somewhere of feeding pigs, and he was lucky that he could eat some of the pigs' food. But at some point, the Bible says that he came back to his senses. And this is, where we, this is why we are saying, you never know what you had until it is gone. So at this point, this young man started realizing, actually, I had a family that cared for me. We even had servants. I imagine that the kind of treatment he received in his father's home was nowhere near to eating the food of the pig. And so at this point, the Bible says that he humbled himself and he was willing to go and admit his mistakes. Isn't this what the disciples has taught us? That when they had messed up, they were willing to record their stories throughout the Gospels so that we can benefit. This son, the same way, he was willing to admit his mistakes. And so he went back home. He was willing to walk away from the place of my rights because he had demanded his rights. He said, give me what belongs to me. But he was willing to walk away from a place of my rights because he realized that he was not worthy. You know, in this life that we live, we have so many rights that we champion for. And there's nothing against people who, um, um, who champion for different rights. I know there's a place for that. But when it comes to the Bible, we are saying that there are some things that, that the scripture teaches us that are upside down principles. 
when you leave this door, you will not find many places where that is found. But in scripture, you will always find it. So this guy wanted his rights, but now he realized that he was actually not worthy. And so he didn't just stop at the place of coming back to his senses and acknowledging these things. But the Bible says that he took action. He went and approached the person he had, he had offended, and this was his father. And the Bible says that his father was filled, was moved with compassion. He ran and embraced him before he had reached the house. Again, another upside down principle. That's not how we are used to embracing people who have offended us, isn't it? But scripture shows us that the father ran towards him. The son at this point had realized that he had not just sinned against his dad, but against God. There's something that changes when we stop fighting with men and we ask ourselves, what would God say about this situation? Because what, when you realize that God would want you to repent and to move away from the things he has prohibited and to move towards the things he has commanded, everything changes. When our wars are not about so and so said or so and so did, but it becomes about, yes, they did that, but what is God asking me to do at this point? So we see the son got to a place where he realized that he had not just sinned against his dad, but against God. And so this is where we ask the questions. Are there things that you consider to be your rights? That sometimes you feel God is asking for too much. Sometimes the standards of God are too high. This person actually offended me. What do you mean the next time I see them, I should hug them? I should be the one to walk towards them and talk to them. Have you ever dismissed accountability because you wanted freedom like this younger son? And it didn't matter what people told you. Have you ever found yourself demanding for what you thought was rightfully yours, but to ignore the fact that the time was not right? Because that's what we see with this younger son. The younger son got the inheritance too early, and it hurt him because he was far from ready to handle that kind of wealth. Sometimes we we want to be given leadership positions. Sometimes we want to be given, I don't know what are the things that we all want, but sometimes God doesn't give us some things because he thinks we are not ready for that blessing that we are asking of him. And I know it's difficult. I'm saying I know it because I, I experience the same things. Sometimes I feel like God's standards are too high. And so some of you said we feel like God's standards are too high because of difficult relatives. Sometimes we feel like God is, God's standards are too high because he's, he, he takes our loved ones away and he expects us to worship him with our, with our strength, with all that we have. We think God's standards are too high when he cannot define small sins and big sins properly. You know? We think God's standards are too high when it comes to sexual purity. Why create me like this, then demand this of me? And some of the lessons that we see from this younger son is that you never know what it, um, um, I think I talked about that. You never know what, what you have until it's gone. Appreciate what you have. This is something I saw on social media. Appreciate what you have and beware of des destination addiction. A preoccupation with the idea that happiness is in the next place, the next job, and with the next partner or the next relationship. Until you give up the idea that happiness is somewhere else, it will never be where you are. 
So we talked about some of the things that um, we have noticed that with, you never know what you had until it's gone. When people say during COVID, all of a sudden we realized we couldn't visit our parents. We realized we couldn't go and hug a loved one who had lost someone. <coughs> we realized we are aging and we realized we didn't make good use of our time. And so some other lessons that we see from this is that we are supposed to humble ourselves and to go and admit our mistakes, just like the disciples showed us. That Jesus has so many upside-down principles that we are supposed to run towards the offender and make breakfast for them, the way Jesus did. Please tell your neighbor, run towards your offender, and if possible, make breakfast for them. The part for make breakfast for them is very important for those who live in the same family. Just try it. We see how whether scripture truly works. So scripture teaches us that you drop the rights and you're right and you realize that you're no longer worthy. Like Jesus chose to wash people's feet, including that one that betrayed you because he didn't skip Judas. Throw a bash for your offenders. And the reason I'm saying he didn't skip Jesus, he knew that Jesus had already spoken to the chief priest and they had discussed the amount of money he was getting, even though the real act had not happened. So that's why when serving him communion, he said, whatever you do, do quickly. So the Bible says, throw a bash for your offenders. Give them a hug when you meet them. I know it's not easy. But this is, this is what God requires of us in the process of helping us to die to self. So are there things that you have considered favorism, to be favorism? You dated a man that hurt you badly. Then a few months later, he was getting married and you felt he did not deserve it. And you asked God, why him? Some, you know, and sometimes when they see that God doesn't see that what this guy has done, you know, someone with less um, qualifications at work and whose command for, of English is not as good as yours, got promoted and you felt bad because you thought you're the one who deserved that job. You worked hard and you felt like people did not appreciate you. Instead, they ask you to improve in how you treat those who you thought were non-performance and thought they were dragging you behind. Personally, I have a story on that one. So the older son, um, the older son, we see that the scripture says that he was in the field. And he comes back home. You know, he was in the field. He was not in the club. He was busy working somewhere, doing the right thing. But I don't know whether his heart was in the right place. So he found a celebration. And the servant explained to him what was going on. And his response, the Bible says that he was angry and he was deeply resentful. He talked about all his sacrifices. I have done while he went away, I will be remained behind. I never complained. I did all the work. 
he highlighted the favorism and the things he saw his brother get that he never got. He compared himself with a younger brother who had devoured his dad's estate with immoral women. And some of the lessons that we see from this one is that God is more interested in who I am becoming than in what I do for him. Because this guy had, had mastered the art of doing things right at the right time. But his heart was very far from God. And in this story, we see a father who is trying to teach the son, yes, I know you do everything right, but let's work on your attitude. Let's work on your heart. That God is more interested in who I am becoming than in what I do for him. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you have love and unselfish concern for one another. Was he passing that test of unselfish concern for one another? So scripture teaches us to rejoice when one person leaves what God has prohibited and returns to what God has commanded. Becoming a Christian is to be birthed into a new family and a new culture where revenge, resentment, and my rights doesn't work, unfortunately, or fortunately. So we are supposed to explore the iceberg in our own lives, and we ask ourselves the question, why do I do what I do? Without doing the work of becoming aware of your feelings and actions, along with their impact on others, it is scarcely possible to enter deeply into the life experiences of other people. Let me repeat that. Without doing the work of becoming aware of your feelings and actions, along with their impact on others, it is scarcely possible to enter deeply into the life experiences of other people. Because this guy could not take time to put himself in the shoes of his brother. He was, he was struggling to embrace all the things that the father was telling him. How can you enter someone else's world when you have not entered your own? is because he was not self-aware. There's a lot about himself he didn't know. He had defined himself with all the good things he did, and he missed the other side, that he was not becoming the things and the person that God wanted them to be, even though they had mastered the art of doing all these things. You see, in Scripture, when I read the story of Job's ranting before God, Jeremiah, who was anguished about God's word burning in his heart like a fire, Moses, who struggled in the wilderness, or David's anguish of feeling abandoned by God, I observe leaders of God in the brutal, painful honesty of wrestling with emotions, feelings, and the realities going on around them. And what, that's why their life stories speak to us so powerfully. God intends that his new community, when we come to faith, that his new community of people be the place where we are set free. Just like that scripture that Ndwati read when he was praying for us. It's a place where we are liberated. We find freedom. This requires recognizing the sad reality that all of us bring, what the things that we bring to our new community out of our old Egyptian ways of living and relating. I said that I have a story, and I think I'll share part of it right now. Um, I think it was last year, God gave me a dream. And in this dream, I was driving, and where I was driving, there were two roads. There was one road up here, and there were some other roads down there. And I was driving very fast, and the people who were in front of me, 
I was like, why are they driving so slowly? And I passed them, and I continued driving. And at that point, I started noticing that whenever I would drive fast, all the cars that were at the bottom would hit each other. They would collide. They would just hit each other badly. And so when I noticed that, I panicked. And so I got off the road. We are still dreaming. So I got off the road, and I noticed now I'm no longer on the road because I've panicked. Now I'm even doing worse. Then when I got off the road, I continued driving, but at some point the car stopped. Where the car stopped, if I had continued driving, I was going to crash because there was, um, it was like on top of a cliff. And then you remember the people I passed, the ones that I said were driving slowly in their dream. These are the people who reached me and helped me. And when they were helping me, <coughs> I remember telling them, but this is not my car, and I actually fueled it. So I noticed I was driving a car very similar to my car, but now I had driven someone else's car, and I had fueled it. And at that point, um, I, I remember us having a conversation, what do we do if they find us with it? They will think we stole, but the truth is not we stole. Then I woke up. I would have wanted to know how we resolved that part. But I really wrestled with that dream. I knew God was saying something to me. And because of everything that was going on, I knew it was about my leadership and the speed that I was moving with. And I started seeing what God meant by the faster you move, the more things collide. And you panic when you don't know what to do. You are now headed for a crash because you will still not stop to solve. But move. you're trying to solve while moving. You know, this is a dream, but it summarizes pain that I caused people. It was not easy. But God had to get me to that place for me to come back to my senses. Yeah, so um, God has birthed a lot out of these mistakes. And I remember telling God... Um, I will continue to serve your people and I will never leave Nairobi, Nairobi Chapel, Lavington because I was in a crisis. I would leave because I have finished my assignment. I never know how long God wants me here, but all I have covenanted with God is that one day when, when that time comes, it will, not, it will be different tears. It will not be tears of, you know, and when I say that I had hurt people, I had also been hurt by people. But this scripture says, this guy had done a lot of wrong. But the father was not focusing on the wrong of the younger son. He kept telling the one who thought he had it together, you come, let's talk. So because it's easy to stay in that place and say, but you don't know what this guy did to me. You don't know what they said to me. You don't understand how many sacrifices I have made. Why, why would God single out what looks like a mistake in a season? And you feel like God and everybody is dwelling on it. It's like, where were you guys when I was doing things okay? When I was sacrificing and going home late. You know, those are the questions I would ask God. And God, you know, just like, Judy, <laughs> let's deal with you. It's not about what you do for me. It's about who you are becoming. I am interested in that. 
So I know you've done all these things for me. Just like the son, you have come straight from the field while the other one is coming from hanging out with immoral women. But you come and we talk. I want you to put down your rights, your, your things that you have used to define yourself as important, and let's deal with you and who you are becoming. So in this scripture, we see a father who is searching and looking at the horizon, and he wants, to, he wants the son to give up rebellion and to come to him. He's eager to get into a relationship with us. He's a relational God. He is personal. He is merciful, and he is a just God. So in this scripture, we see two types of people. One who was rebellious. He rejects God's ways and a relationship with him, and self-righteous. They get caught up in what they, and the other one was self-righteous. They got caught up in what they deserve and what they think God owes them. At the beginning of this sermon, I said, some people hear and they say, good sermon. And they hang around church with no need for repentance. But others will hear and they will be broken before the Lord. And they will, will in deep agony go to God for restoration. This is how we see the father receiving the one who was broken enough to come back for restoration. He gave him the best robe. He covered him. When you come to Christ, immediately you are clothed in righteousness. And the filthy rags of your own attempts at righteousness are no longer necessary. Because he clothes you. He gave him a ring. He put a ring on his hand. The ring is the sign of covenant. Now that you have been made righteous, you start living like you are in covenant with the almighty God. He is now your partner and your source. Not the things that you do. He's now your protector and your strength. You have a covenant that cannot be broken by external forces. He is yours and your his. No wonder the father tells the son, but all these things I had here are yours. He didn't even know. He gave the son who came back sandals for his feet. The shoes are a sign for the journey. You have received righteousness and you have come into covenant. And now you must walk this relationship out. This is where many miss the mark. They stop short of actually following Jesus in the daily walk of discipleship. Because the shoes will always lead you to the perfect will of God for your life, however difficult it looks. Then he slaughtered a calf for him, which symbolizes the death of Jesus Christ. And after that, there was celebration because of a transformed life that came from death to life. I think we can appreciate God just for who he is in our lives with a clap because this is the journey that he went for us. He clothes us with a robe. He gets into a covenant with us. He gives us sandals, equips us to journey in this life. And he did that by providing through the death of his son, Jesus Christ. And as a result, we are transformed. So the father reminds the elder son. He pleaded with him, the one who was resenting. And God today is pleading with us that he understands what people have done to you. But in the spirit of authentic relationships, even for you who think you are on the right, that God pleads with you to drop resentment. Because this scripture says that the father pleaded with the son who was resenting. And he told him, you are always with me. All that is mine is yours. 
you are always with me. All that is mine is yours. There is no loss in being in the will of God, however difficult it is. No matter what he's asking you to do, there is absolutely no loss. I don't know what God has been asking you to do with different relationships in your life. And I don't know how difficult it feels. But just like a father told this son, you are always with me. All that is mine is yours. That I have already provided. Stop fighting. Let go. You will not lose. You may not see it with your physical eyes, but I got you. That's what the father was telling this son. And instead, get out of that place and celebrate because your brother was as good as dead and now he lives. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on stage as we close. And this is my question to you. Do you know about the gifts that you have received upon repentance and salvation? Or do you know the gifts that God wants to gift you today if you choose to follow him? Did you know about the gifts you received upon repentance and salvation? Do you know that God wants to clothe you? That he will not use your mistakes to define you? That he will give you what you need to journey in this life and that he already provided. Have you been walking in the authority that comes when you realize what you've been given directly from the Father? When you realize that you've had access to all these things, will that change how you walk in life? Will that change how you conduct yourself around people? Will you recognize that there is no loss in not fighting back? But there is everything to gain in walking in obedience. And that the heavens rejoices when just one of us decides to embrace this truth and do life God's way. So I invite us to stand. The worship team will lead us in a time of reflection through song and talk to your Father in heaven. Thank him. Thank him because he views you in a very different way. He's always looking forward to embrace you, to give you a hug. Just recognize that the voices from the enemy is not necessarily God's will for you. You don't have to beat yourself, but you can embrace this God of second chances and allow him to use you for, your, for his glory. When the music fades and all is stripped away and I simply come longing just to Something that's of worth That will bless your heart I'll bring you more than a song For a song in itself Is not what you have required 
such much deeper within Though the way things appear You're looking into my heart I'm coming back to the heart of worship And it's all about you It's all about you Sorry, Lord, for the thing I made it, and it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm coming back to the heart of worship when it's all about you. It's all about you. King of endless world, no one could express how much you deserve. Though I'm weak and poor, though I'm weak and poor, all I have is yours. Every single before your presence and we thank you Lord because we know that you know each and every one of us by name just like in my dream many of us would not be here today if it was not for you oh God and so Jehovah Father we stand before your presence and we recognize that sometimes we have things that we have taken for granted and we just don't know it until they are taken away from us but we thank you Jehovah Father because you are a God of second chances just like the younger son my father who went away championing his own rights got to a place where he realized 
lies. I've left the place where I had freedom. Actually, I left the place where I had true freedom. I left the place where I had provision because I wanted to do things my way. But we thank you, Father, because we learned from him that he came back to his senses. And so today, my Father, I pray for each and every one of us that if there is a place that we are wrestling with you, oh God, where Jehovah, Father, you're calling us to a place where we need to come back to our senses. I pray that, God, you will help us. You will hold our hand in the mighty name of Jesus. That as we talk about back to basics, Father God, you are redefining the church. And you are saying the church is not about cathedrals. That in any case, you did not shut down the church. You shut down the cathedrals. But now you're calling the people, my Father. And you're saying that, God, we need to repent and go back to a place where we stop doing the things that you have prohibited, that we move towards the thing that you command us to do. And your word goes out every week, my Father. I pray that we will be the church that receives your word with joy and that it will get us to a place of brokenness where we will see transformation, where you move us from a place where God, we were dead in sin and bring us to a place where we find life, the life that comes not just from understanding everything but from trusting that you know what you are doing with our lives you are the God who says that it's good that you did all those things for me but I was probably not in it because I desire more to see the person you are becoming and so today my father we pray that as the Nairobi Chapel Lovington family we will be that church that commits to move from doing to being to finding a healthy rhythm around those two things my God for the glory and honor of your holy name. So Father God, we pray for our relationships. We pray for marriages that are represented in this place, my Father. Even for people who are not present here today. Father, you know marriages that are not okay in our midst. We cry on their behalf in Jesus' name. King of all glory, we know that numbers of divorces can be reduced in this world if we learn how to be authentic with one another. If we learn that it's not about what we did, but about who we are becoming. And that there is no better place that God teaches us these things than in a marriage space or in a workspace, my Father. And so we thank you for all the marriages that could be in that place because you will transform them. What looks like dead, my Father, you will bring it back to a place of life in Jesus' name. Heavenly Father, whatever it takes, we know that some things may not happen overnight, but we pray that your will will be done over these families, my Father, because we know what it means for the children in the at home, my Father. And so, King of all glory, I pray, would you clothe that marriage, my Father, with righteousness in Jesus' name? Would you give them the sandals that they need to do life together, my Father, for the glory and honor of your holy name? We pray for relationships between parents and children that have gone sour, my Father. We pray that Holy Spirit of God, that your kingdom teaches us principles that are upside down, that sometimes, my Father, we could be the parents and we'll be the one who go running and embracing the child that offended us, the child that did exactly what we want them not to do because that's the kingdom of God. I pray that Heavenly Father, we will continue to see more of this in our midst in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, that we will have a generation that will speak less of father wounds or mother wounds because parents are roles and they were intentional with you, my Father.
Thank you, Father, for work relationships that we have, a space that where we find we spend a lot of time in our adult life, my Father. If we cannot be happy in a place like that, then what is life about, oh God? So we pray that, Jehovah, Father, may we be the salt of the earth, that wherever you send us, my God, we'll be the ones who are quick to listen and slow to speak, allowing the Holy Spirit to take his place in our lives and in our relationships for the glory and honor of your holy name. King of all glory, it will be difficult to do this in our own strength. It's not possible to do this just because we said it's a theme of the year. And so with the disciples, you told them, do not be in a hurry to go and do these things. Instead, wait on the Holy Spirit who will empower you. And so today and in this season, teach us how to wait on you, Holy Spirit. Empower us, O oh God, on how to navigate some of these things. So that Jehovah Father, a time will come just like the disciples. We will be unstoppable because we will have grown in our comprehension of you, O oh God. We will have grown in our convictions, my Father. Just like the disciples, we will be willing to die to self because we see that they taught us that they were willing to die for their faith, that they died as martyrs. So, Lord, these were people just like us. You empowered them and they served their purpose. It is our turn to serve our purpose, O oh God. And I pray that Holy Spirit of God empower us for the task and for the work, for the assignment that you have ahead of us. We are still in the beginning of the year 2022, O oh God. We dedicate this year before you in Jesus' name. We pray that God will only enter into territories that you have conquered on our behalf. We thank you, Jehovah God, because we will see you restoring the things that look that they were dead, my Father, you will bring them back to life, oh God. We pray for anyone in our families or in our midst that have not submitted to your Lordship, my Father, that it's not enough to desire that this guy had to reach a place that even though he came back to his senses, he took action and he went back to the Father and asked for forgiveness. So if you are there today, in this sanctuary or online and you have not submitted yourself to the Lordship of Christ, we would like to give you an opportunity to do that this morning as we pray together with you. Is there anyone like that? Or you get gotten to a place you're no longer sure about your relationship with God. You've just been about doing, I do all these things for church, I do all these things for people, but I am very far from God. That Jesus says, I am more interested in that one person that chooses to repent, to turn away from the things I have prohibited and to move to the things that I have commanded. There are 99 people who gather together with no need for repentance. So are you there and you feel like you're one of those people? Either you've never made this decision or you feel like you've, your relationship with the Lord is so loose, you would like to start afresh. Father, our desire is that you continue to move us closer to you, to make us more like you, to help us appreciate what you are doing, so that it's not always about us understanding things, but it's us understanding the truth of your word and allowing it to work for us. We honor you this morning, and we pray that you who has said in your word that you will watch over your word to perform it. Jehovah God, we desire, and we look forward to hearing testimonies 
or things that you will do where our relationships are concerned, that you make us more of an authentic church. Father, turn away from being a church that attends a Sunday service, but being a church that walks in community and in communion with one another, which can only flow out of the understanding of who you are in our lives. That this son got to a place where he said that he knew he had not just sinned against his father, but also his father in heaven. That when we understand that, our battles fade away because then we, are we realize who is on fighting on our behalf. So we thank you, Lord, because we know you are interested in peaceful relationships. You are interested in those things that bug us. And that, Lord, you've gone ahead of us. Help us to see what you're doing and to follow you in obedience. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now and forevermore. God bless you and have a lovely week.